We are on Yevamos Ein Beis Amen Aleph 72a as we continue in this chapter, in this parak of Ha'arel. A lot of interesting topics, uh, a lot having to do with <coughs> brismila, circumcision, the lack of a circumcision, uh, what the implications are if a person doesn't have a circumcision. And we're continuing with our discussion uh, from the last recording about a mashach. What happens if there's somebody who did a circumcision, they went through a bris milah, but then later on, over time, the skin droops down, and it looks like they did not go through a circumcision. What is the law with regards to that? And we saw in the uh, last, or we learned in the last recording, that Rav Huna says that on a biblical level, as long as you do a circumcision once, even if the skin uh, then over time covers uh, the area, you do not require a circumcision on a biblical level. We do require it on a rabbinic level uh, so that it looks like there's a circumcision there, but it's not required on a biblical level, as we will see. Uh, there could be those that say that, uh, at least entertain the possibility that it is on a biblical uh, level. But that's the position of Ravuna. So the Gemara now says Mesave. They're asking a question on this position of Ravuna who says that it's only on a rabbinic level. The Gemara, is, the, the Brisa says, Tumtum. Uh, we'll have a lot of different cases in this b'risa, which the, the Gemara will also comment on. So a lot of interesting cases. Tum-tum, let's say you have somebody who we are not sure if uh, they are male or female. There's uh, part of the body is blocking it. There's skin that's blocking the genital area. Um, and so we don't know if they're male or female. In Ochel Batruma, such a person is not allowed to eat truma. They cannot eat truma. We mentioned in the past, that somebody who's not circumcised cannot eat truma, the special food that's given to the Kohen. And the reason for this is because perhaps he's a male. If he's a male, he's, without a circumcision, he's not allowed to eat truma. However, <coughs> his wife and his servants, they are allowed to eat truma because the fact that he didn't go through a circumcision on the side, assuming that even if he is a male, the fact that he's not circumcised doesn't prevent his wife or his Servants from eating truma, they're allowed to eat truma. Now, parenthetically, the Gemara will discuss this later on. How is it possible that he has a wife? We're not sure if he's male or female. If he's female, he cannot get married to a woman. Uh, so how is that possible? Uh, so the Gemara will discuss that later on, but that's just a parenthetical point. The key point, the reason why we're bringing this Brisa down is for the next line, the, the Brisa says, Mashuch, that if we're in a scenario where they went through a circumcision, they're mashach, but the skin droops down, so it looks like they didn't have a circumcision, or they were born already circumcised. Um, in both of those cases, even if they're born circumcised, they are allowed to eat truma. It says that they are, in fact, allowed to eat uh, truma. Um, and so that seems to be either a question well, take the approach of Rashi. Rashi really reads this Gemara slightly differently. Uh, and he says that it's not really a question on Ravuna. This is, in fact, a proof to Ravuna. Rashi explains that there's no opinion out there that will tell you that somebody who's a Masha, who went through circumcision, and then the skin drooped down uh, so that it doesn't look like a circumcision anymore, nobody would be of the opinion that they are allowed to eat Truma. It's just a question whether they're allowed to eat it on a biblical level, but not on a rabbinic level, or they're not even allowed to eat it on a biblical uh, level. So uh, this Brisa explains Rashi is actually a proof to Ravuna because it says that they're allowed to eat it. What do you mean they're allowed to eat it? Nobody says they're allowed to eat it. 
So the idea is that they're allowed to eat it on a biblical level. Our Bryce is only discussing on a biblical level they're allowed to eat it. Ravuna is discussing on a rabbinic level. On a rabbinic level, they're not allowed to because it looks like they didn't go through a circumcision. And so, um, and so therefore, this is really a proof uh, to Ravuna. But let's finish the Brysa. It was a whole Brysa that they quoted for that line. But let's finish the Brysa. Androgynous. Somebody who has, uh, possesses both male and female genitals. They, they're, it's unclear exactly what their status is. That's a whole separate topic. What exactly is their status? Are they male? Are they female? Are they both? Are they their own uh, own gender? Uh, what exactly are they? Somebody who, who uh, has both uh, genitals, male and female. So, if they have a circumcision, uh, so then if they have both and they have a circumcision, they're allowed to eat truma. However, they are not allowed to eat. There are certain parts of kachim, <coughs> what's referred to as kachim kadashim, where only male, only men are allowed to eat, but not women. To so somebody who is an androgynous, she is not allowed, he, she is not allowed to uh, eat uh, the kachim. She's that androgynous is allowed to eat truma, but they can't eat kachim because kachim is designated specifically uh, for men. The Brysa then concludes and says, Tumtum, it goes back to the case of Tumtum, to the case where uh, we're not sure if they are male or female because it's covered by, that area is covered by skin, so we, we can't tell. It might might rip open over time, but right now it's covered. Uh, and it goes back to that case. The Gemara, again, later on will address why it's repeated, but it says, such a person, because they might be male, they did not have a circumcision, it's covered, they did not have a circumcision, they did not have a circumcision, <coughs> they are not allowed to eat truma, they are not allowed to eat kachim. Okay, that's the end of the brysa. So the Gemara then first uses this as, according to Rashi, as a proof to Ravuna. That uh, we see from here, that some uh, a case where it's mashach where they went through a circumcision and then the skin drooped down that they're allowed to eat truma. Rashi explains on a biblical level they they were allowed to eat truma on a biblical level. Uh, but uh, Rav Huna comes along and says, but not on a rabbinic level. Uh, so they, the fact that it says that they're allowed to eat truma must mean on a biblical level they're allowed to eat truma, and so this supports the position of Rav Huna. Okay, that's why the Gemara brings down this brisa. But once we have this brysa, once we brought down this brysa, and there are other lines in this brysa, so the Gemara now analyzes some of the other lines. And the Gemara says as follows. The, the brysa said that a tumtum, somebody where, who uh, we don't know if they're male or female because that area is covered by skin, uh, so they're not allowed to eat truma because maybe they're male and they didn't go through circumcision, but it says that their, their wife could eat truma. Gemara says, "Wait a minute, Nashav Latumtum Minale. How could how could he get married? He she. It's unclear. This Tumtum. We don't know if it's a male or a female. How could such a person get married? Uh, it's questionable whether it's a, a valid marriage or not." So the Gemara said, and the Gemara explains, Kaddish, If he's marrying a woman, meaning he's viewing him, he, this Tumtum is viewing himself as a male. So did, and that works. The Tanya Tumtum Shekidushiv Kedushu Kedushin. Um, if they're getting married, so we say that it ends up being working as a marriage. The Gemara says, wait a minute. It doesn't really mean that it works as a marriage. 
we say that they're viewed that they shouldn't get married to begin with, but if they got married, if this tumtum got married, whether acting as a male or acting as a female to get married, whether they're marrying a man or a woman, in either case, we will recognize it as a marriage because we're not sure if, if this person is a male or female. And so therefore, we'll recognize it as a marriage, misafik, in doubt. We're not sure whether this is a valid marriage or not. And so we'll say it's valid enough to require a divorce document. It's only valid enough to require a divorce document, but, it, but as a chumrah, as a stringency, to say, you know what, you need a divorce document, uh, but we don't let them stay married. We certainly don't let them stay married because maybe it's not, the person's not a male, and so he cannot marry a woman. Um, and so therefore we don't let them stay married, but we are stringent to say that they have to get a divorce document. But to say, lakula, to be lenient, to say that we view it as a marriage to the point where we'll say that this tumtum's wife is now allowed to eat truma, we would never say such a thing. We would never say such a thing. How could you tell me that his wife could eat truma? It might not even be his wife. It's questionable whether or not it's his wife. We say, you know what? Give a divorce document as a stringency. But we don't know if it's his wife. We don't know if, he, if the tumtum is a male. Maybe the tumtum is a female. We don't know. The, the, the area is covered. And, and so the, therefore the Gemara says, how could we be referring to somebody who got married? So the Gemara has two answers to this question. How could we say that we're going to be lenient to say that they're viewed as married? It's a questionable marriage. So Amar Abaye, answer number one, Kishabitsav Nikaris Mibachot. Abaye answers, <coughs> excuse me, the cases where uh, the testicles uh, are seen on the outside. So even though you don't see the entire uh, area, but you do see some of the, you see the testicles. So Abaye says that is sufficient, that is enough for us to determine that this person is a male uh, just by seeing the testicles alone. And so therefore, they could get married to, to a woman. Such a person could get married to a woman, and it would be recognized as a completely valid marriage because we'd assume this person is a male. They can't go through circumcision because the skin is blocking the rest of the area. <coughs> but we will we will um, view it, this person, this tumtum, as a male because the testicles are seen on the outside. That's answer number one. Answer number two is Rava. Rava Amar Mayinashav Imo. It doesn't really mean his wife. You're right. Rava says. He can't get married, and even if he gets married, we require a divorce document, but that's only out of stringency. But really, we don't recognize it as a marriage. So when it says his wife, it really means his mother. And if you go back, remember, uh, back to earlier, if, uh, if the mother, let's say, married a Kohen, she herself was not born as a Kohen, but married a Kohen, then her husband passes away. So as long as she has children, she's allowed to continue eating truma, the special food that is given to the Kohanim. But over here, the child is a tumtum. The Gemara has a very interesting... Uh, assumption, or at least the f- initial thought. The Gemara says, Pshita, it's obvious that she could eat uh, truma if she has a child. Who cares that the child is a tumtum? The Gemara says, no. You might have thought differently. We don't hold of this initial thought, but you might have thought differently. You might have thought that uh, it's only if she has a child who has the ability to also have children. The tumtum doesn't have an ability to have a child. The skin is covering it, that area. So you might have thought that it's only uh, if she's able to have a child who's also able to have a child that it has the potential to lead to future generations, not just stop by the next generation, by her child. So maybe she shouldn't be able to eat truma because this child, we don't know whether or not right now this child cannot have children because the skin is covering the area. So Kamash Malan, that no, that's what you might have thought. But the truth is that no. Truma is not dependent on that. And as long as she just has a child, 
she is, in fact, allowed to eat truma. It doesn't make a difference whether or not that child has the ability, the potential to have children on his or her own. As long as she has a child, she's allowed to eat truma. And that's Rava. Rava says it's not really referring to his wife. It's referring to the mother. And as long as the mother has a child, even if the child is a tumtum, somebody who cannot have children right now, the mother is allowed to continue eating truma even after uh, her initial marriage with the Kohen ends. Okay, those are the two positions between Abaye and Rava. Abaye says, it's where we know that uh, the person is a male, the symptom is a male, because it's a unique case where the testicles are seen on the outside and the skin is just covering the rest of the area. Okay, so now we have these two positions of Abaye and Rava. Again, this sort of stemmed out, it was a bit of a side topic here. Abaye says that the case of the Brisa is where we know that he's a male. Rabbi says that, no, the case is where it's still a tumtum. We don't know if it's a male or female, but the case was where we weren't discussing his wife. He can't get married. Uh, we don't view it as a, as, a, as a real marriage. We're stringent to give a divorce document, but we don't recognize it as a real marriage because we don't know whether or not he's male or female. Uh, and it's really referring to his mother. The Mara says, let us prove one way or the other. From the end of the Brisa, what is the end of the Brisa? The end of the Brisa repeats it, Tashma. It, it first discusses tumtum, and then it discusses tumtum again. So why does it repeat it? What's the point of repeating the same thing? That a tumtum, somebody who we don't know whether they're male or female, they're not allowed to eat from truma. Why Why would we repeat the same statement? I understand the current Abaye. Abaye, remember Abaye said that the first case is where we see his testicles. We know that he's a male. So the first case is really discussing just somebody who is a male who's not circumcised. They're not circumcised. Happens to be that it's against uh, their control because the skin is covering it, but they're not circumcised. Um, and, and they're not allowed to eat uh, truma. And the end, the, the, the end, the second case is referring to somebody who's a Suffolk RL, somebody who's actually a tumtum, somebody who we don't know whether or not they're male or female. We don't know whether or not they need to be circumcised in order to eat truma. If they're a woman, then they just eat truma. If it's a man, so then they wouldn't be able to eat truma because they didn't go through a circumcision. So it's there to tell us that somebody who's questionably uh, circumc- uh, able to eat truma, we say they're not allowed to eat truma because since we don't know, they are not in fact allowed to eat truma. So that makes sense all according to Abaye. First case is a case where we know it's a man and didn't go through circumcision. Second case is where we don't know and still they're not allowed to eat truma. But according to Rava, who says the entire time, we know it's somebody who is a questionable Somebody who we don't know whether or not they're male or female because the skin is covering that area. So why repeat it? What's the point of repeating it? So Rava says, "My no, it's not a problem. I could explain. My tumtum, arel, hashta suffik arel lo achil vade arel vade arel achil matam kamar matam tumtum in ochel b'truma b'meneshes suffik arel hu arel in ochel lo b'truma v'lo b'kachim." Rava will explain that the second time it's mentioned, it's not really referring to a tumtum to somebody who's questionably. Male or female, we don't know whether or not they're male or female, and therefore we say you can't eat truma. That was the first case. The second case is just to teach you that somebody who's not circumcised cannot eat truma. That's obvious, says the Gemara. If somebody who is not sure if they're male or female can't eat truma, so then obviously somebody who's for sure not circumcised can't eat truma. Uh, so the idea is that Rava says that, no, it's explaining the logic. It's explaining the reason behind it. The reason why a tumtum can't eat truma is because they didn't go through a circumcision. And somebody who didn't go through a circumcision is not allowed to eat truma. So it's not a question. That second part is not a question on Rava.
Okay, that was just a whole analysis of that particular brisa. The Gemara now returns back to its original discussion. <coughs> Again, the original discussion is about somebody who is mashuch, somebody who went through a circumcision once, and then the skin droops down again. On a biblical level, are they required to go through another circumcision? Do we say a bris is only required once and then you're done? Or do we say that no, as long as there's skin there, so then you require another circumcision. So that, Rav Huna said on a biblical level, we do not require a bris, one and done, uh, just on a rabbinic level, because it doesn't look like they went through a circumcision. So on a rabbinic level, we required it. Umari now says, maybe this is a machlokas tanaim. This is really a matter of dispute, not just amongst Amoraim, rabbis from the times of the Gemara, really even rabbis from the times of the Mishnah. Why? Because we have the following b'risa, also from the times of the Mishnah, which says as follows, all the following cases, mashuch, our case that we're dealing with, where they went through a circumcision and then the skin droops down again. That's case number one. Gerish and Iskar If you have a convert who's trying to convert, they also have to have a circumcision. But let's say they already had a circumcision. So all they require now is something referred to as Hatavas Dambris. <coughs> Just removing some blood because they already went through a circumcision. Case number three is Katan Shavrizmano. Let's say you have a baby, a child who's older than eight days old. All these cases. One other case, Visharkal and Imolam. All other cases. What does that mean? In case where there's multiple foreskins from from the beginning, all these cases says the first opinion. They have to have the bris during the daytime. They have to have the bris during the daytime. That's opinion number one. Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Shimon Omer. Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Shimon says no. Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Shimon says that. Everybody agrees, Elizabeth Shimon says, I also agree that if it's the eighth day, a regular normal bris, which occurs on the eighth day, that has to be done by day. The verse says so. The verse says, by so on the eighth day and not at night. You can't have a circumcision done at night. But in all these other cases, it's past the eighth day, where the eighth day doesn't even apply. You already had a circumcision, the skin then drooped down, so it doesn't look like it. All these other cases, it's not the eighth day anymore. Uh, a, a baby who's older than than eight days old. All of these cases, we say that you could do it also at night. It's permissible to do it at night. So we have a dispute here when it's not the eighth day. When it's not the eighth day, for all these different cases, whether it's mashuch, meaning they had a circumcision and then it drooped down, the first opinion says only by day. Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Shimon says no, you could do it by day or by night. So says, "My isn't this their dispute? What are they arguing about? Whether it has to be by day or not?" <clears throat> the first opinion that says that has to be by day is because he holds that it's on a biblical level. We require circumcision on a biblical level. Anytime that it's on a biblical level, it has to be done by day. The second opinion says that no, it's on a rabbinic level. Since it's on a rabbinic level, you could also do it at night. Isn't that what they're arguing about? Where it says no. Can't be with that. That's what they're arguing about. Why? Including that list is also just a regular baby or child who's above, uh, older than eight days old, that uh, there's this dispute whether it could be done at night or not. And certainly such a person is required on a biblical level to have a circumcision just because they didn't have it on the eighth day doesn't mean that it turns into a rabbinic. Of course, it's on a biblical level. Everyone on a biblical level, regardless of how old they are, have they have an obligation to go through a circumcision. So it, it's clearly, we're discussing some cases which are biblical. So this is, what are they arguing about? Whether it's by day or by night. So, you could say that we're discussing 
different cases. These are all different cases which have different levels of obligation. I know we reached the 20-minute mark, but we're going to go a little bit longer this time. Uh, so, mashuch, uh, the case where you went through a circumcision and then the skin drooped down so it doesn't look like it, that's only required on a rabbinic level, like Ravuna. You could say that this fits with Ravuna. For a child where the time passed, it's no longer eight days. They still require circumcision on a biblical level. So some cases are only required on a rabbinic level. Some cases are required on a biblical level. But either way, even the rabbinic requirements, they follow and they pattern after the biblical obligations. If it's only required by day on a biblical level, it's only required by day on a rabbinic level. What is the whole dispute, whether it needs to be by day or by night? This is what they argue about. The verse says, It says, it says, and on the eighth day. Referring to the eighth day, it says and. It has an extra vav, extra letter. So, um, one says that we do expound upon that one word, one letter, sorry, of the vav of ubayom to say that it's not just referring to the eighth day. That the plain explanation of the verse is only referring to the eighth day. The extra vav tells us, no, not just the eighth day, but any time a person goes through a circumcision, only by day, not by night. The second opinion says, no. I don't expand upon that extra one letter of the Vav. And since the verse is only talking about the eighth day, so only on the eighth day does it need to be by day. But if it's past the eighth day, any of these other cases, you could do it by day or by night. You could do it by either one. Uh, and they quote the following story. said... Then when it comes to a different law, totally different law called Nosar. Nosar is a law that has to do with carbono sacrifices, that if there's a sacrifice, um, which is not yet, uh, which is Nosar, um, if it was left over and you can no longer eat it, so you have to burn it. Uh, so you have to burn it. Many details with regards to this, you have to burn it. So he says that if you burn it on the correct day, by day, you have to do it by day. If it's not the correct day, past that, that day passed, you can do it by day or by night. That's the position of Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Elazar tells Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Elazar asks Rabbi Yochanan, he says, where did you get this from? That you could do by day or by night to burn the uh, the, the leftover uh, Corbanus, leftover sacrifices. Where exactly did you get this from? Uh, we know that when it comes to a bris, when it comes to a bris, that if it's past the eighth day, you also have to do it by day because of the extra vav. Um, and by nosar, even if you want to argue that we, we don't expound upon that extra vav, that extra letter, by nosar we have two letters. There are two letters. Because by nosar, without getting into the verse itself, by no sir, there's an v- extra vav and an extra hey. Not just an extra one letter, there's an extra two letters. And for that, we do expound upon to say that it doesn't just apply by, when we say by day, it doesn't just mean the day which you should burn the, the sacrifice, uh, but it means any subsequent day. If you forgot to do it on the day that you're supposed to do it, the next time you do it also has to be done by day. And so he's asking a question on Rabbi Yochanan. How can Rabbi Yochanan say that if it's past that day that you're supposed to do it, you can do it by day or by night? So he he was quiet. It was a strong question in him. Ishtik. He was quiet. Rabilchan was quiet. After he left, Amalai Rabilchan Rishlakish. Rabilchan then went to Rishlakish. And he says, Rabilazar really had a strong question on me. 
He says, I saw that Elazar ben Pedas, who's from the times of the Gemara, he's expounding upon verses as if he's from the times of the Mishnah. He's, he's really, he's expounding upon these verses. Where did he get this from? So Rish Lakish says, Amalei Rish Lakish, Didehi, he's not expounding on his own. Mas Nisahi. It's really, it's really from an earlier source from the times of the Mishnah. It's not that he's doing this on his own. So Hechatanalei, where is this taught? But Torah's Kohanim. He found the source in Torah's Kohanim in, 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 uh, in a work that's from the time period of the Mishnah. So what did Rabbi Yochanan do? Rabbi Yochanan was, again, just to review the story, Rabbi Yochanan was questioned by Rabbi Lazar from an earlier source. He didn't know about this source. Very interesting. He didn't know about this source. The rabbi from the times of the Gemara said, so what did he do? Nafak, Tanya, Yome, So he didn't know about this source. So what did he do? He went and he read it for three days. He read this source for three days. So first he read it for three days, and then he reviewed it. Not just reviewed it, but he wanted to understand the underlying ideas and principles of this source for three months. Could you imagine? He 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 he, he was upset, I guess, or or um, he wanted to know this material that he didn't know about, and so he for three days he he really just first step is to just understand what uh, what it's saying, just just the words itself. And then for three months, he wanted to understand the underlying principles of this source, to really understand the concepts, the conceptual understanding of this source. But that's really just a side point. In the end of the day, there is no proof. The Gemara does not have a proof uh, that a mashach, that somebody who went through circumcision and then the skin drooped down, uh, that they require a circumcision on a biblical level. Uh, we could defend Ravuna, who says that it's not required on a biblical level and it's only required on a rabbinic level. In the next recording, we will begin uh, a new topic, uh, but still continuing on the overall same uh, idea of bris milah.